Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq al and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. For those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, this is your first time. We'd like to let you know that you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. So if that's SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, or Google Play, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Okay, so Radio Islam family, we are pleased to have joining us on the phone uh, two individuals that are going to help us to get some context um, and hopefully walk away a bit more informed about the Uyghur. Uh, the Uyghur are an indigenous uh, a Turkic um, people, Muslim people in uh, China, uh, and there has been lots of uh, there's been lots of coverage, different conversations that have taken place. But we want to make sure that we are coming from an informed position. So we have joining us on the phone Omar Kanat. Uh, he is the director of the Uyghur Human Rights Project, and we also have uh, Miss Jessica Batke. And she is the China File Senior Editor. Um, and actually, I should give you a little bit more info. So give me a second. Let me re- rewind myself a little bit. So uh, Jessica, she is an expert on China's domestic political and, the social, and social affairs and served as, as the State Department's Bureau of Intelligence and Research Analyst for nearly eight years prior to joining China File. Uh, with regard to Omar, I've already mentioned that he is the director of the Uyghur Human Rights Project. Uh, but he was born in Gulja City in East Turkestan. He helped found the UHRP in 2003, as well as the World Uyghur Youth Congress, where he served for two terms as president from 96 to 2000. And he helped found and has served as the vice president of the World Uyghur Congress, uh, Congress since 2006, prior to taking the position of director in 2017. So we want to welcome them both to the program. Yes, well, well, welcome, to, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So um, if we could start, uh, if we could start first with the, uh, what is the, the history? Um, what is the history of the, the, the Uyghur uh, people that maybe most people who, who may not be aware, you know, of, of, of politics or the, uh, the demographics, What's, what's the history of the Uyghur people? Yeah, Uyghur people are uh, ethnically, uh, culturally Turkic people uh, living in, uh, you know, uh, East Turkestan. Uh, it is Turkestan, uh, commonly known as East Turkestan. It's a part of the Central Asia. Mm-hmm. And the Uyghurs have a rich culture, history, going back almost to thousands of years. Before embarrassing Islam in 10th century, Uyghurs... Uh, believed in Buddhism, uh, Manism, in Nestorian Christianity. Mm-hmm. Today, Uyghur uh, practice a moderate form of Islam and uh, lead predominantly secular, uh, secular lives. Mm-hmm. East Turkestan has a rich and distinct history. So we call the land East Turkestan. It is the historical name of our homeland. But the Chinese government uh, call it uh, Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. This autonomous status was given to this area in uh, 1955 after 
communists took over uh, in uh, 1949. In 1933 uh, and 1944, uh, twice Uyghurs uh, uh, managed to st- establish two uh, republics in this area, but both republics crashed uh, in, uh, in cooperation between the Soviet Union and uh, communist China. So the uh, population of Uyghurs are uh, approximately, uh, according to Chinese uh, sources, 11 million, but the Uyghurs think they are more than that. Uh, the, uh, according to Uyghur sources, uh, the Uyghur population is approximately 18 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and we have also, uh, Uyghurs have a large diaspora in, in Central Asia, especially in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, uh, and also in Turkey and uh, Middle Eastern countries in Europe as well. So uh, the Uyghurs have a very uh, close uh, historical and cultural and linguistic uh, relationship with the uh, people in Central Asia. So we almost speak the same language, for example, uh, with the Uzbeks. Okay. Right. Yeah. The Uzbeks of uh, Uzbekistan. Okay. Um, uh, Jessica, if I could add, if I could direct this question to you uh, with regard sure. to the um, because the reason that the reason that uh, we've seen the Uyghur in the in the news that we've been talking about them, it's been it's all centered around this these reeducation uh, camps. You know, I'll say that in quotes. Um, what are the how does that history uh, of the Uyghur people? Um, what is its impact with regard to these re-education camps? Sure. Thanks again for today. Um, as Omar was saying, the Uyghur people have a very complicated and contentious history in terms of their relationship with China. And as he said, the language is completely different from Chinese. It runs much closer to Central Asian languages, and culturally it's much closer to Central Asia than it is to China. And so because the Uyghur people are culturally, linguistically, and particularly religiously distinct, um, there's a real sense of sort of difference from the majority ethnically Han Chinese um, that predominate in China and, and are, uh, make up most of the government. And the government is pretty concerned about this sense of difference, right? So one of the ways that they're trying to get at this now is by setting up what they're euphemistically calling re-education camps. Um, I think we should have a larger conversation, if not here today, but in general, about what we should be calling these camps. I think re-education is a bit too nice of a term. Yeah. Uh, today I'll just call them camps. Mm-hmm. But basically, going through these re-education camps is supposed to help them change their quote-unquote extreme religious or ethnic identities into something that much more closely resembles sort of the ethnic Han cultural norms and preferences. But just like discriminatory regimes or practices all over the world, the majority ethnic group, in this case the Han, has trouble seeing that their own norms and preferences are not somehow universal or immutable defaults or normals, right? They see differences in beliefs and identity as dangerous aberrations from what they consider normal and don't understand that their normal is also just sort of a somewhat arbitrary set of norms and preferences. I don't know if that answers your mm. question. Oh, sure, sure. And and, and I am definitely open to, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I definitely don't want that to become um, 
that's not something that I accept, right? And that's why I mentioned uh, re-education in quotes, right? Because it's anything but that. Because if if, anyone, if either of you would like to go ahead and address uh, this uh, question, um, are these camps, these camps, I would say these are not voluntary, right? No, not at all. Of course, the, uh, you know, this is... Uh, this is uh, Chinese government, uh, you know, call it, you know, this uh, re-education comes, but it is not re-education comes. Right. There are a lot of, uh, although the Chinese government, uh, you know, deny that existence of this uh, comes, and they say this is, you know, these are, uh, you know, vocational training centers, but uh, there are a lot of public information. Uh, reportings, uh, multiple, you know, independent reportings, and the research of the uh, Western scholars, uh, uh, witnesses, victims, or, uh, who, you know, detain and uh, then release from these uh, camps, indicate that the, these are not uh, a, 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 uh, what, uh, as the Chinese claims, you know, a, a re-education camps. These are uh, real prisons. Uh, uh, you know, detention centers. Terrible things are happening in this detention center. Mm -hmm. There are uh, reports of death in custody, torture, and all kind of brainwashing. What the uh, uh, people are forced to do, the Uyghurs in these camps, first of all, they have to renounce their religion, renounce their culture, and uh, 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 declare their, uh, you know, uh, loyalty uh, to Communist Party, praise the Communist Party, praise the Xi Jinping, and uh, uh, denounce and renounce everything that they value. So, and uh, there are uh, the two, uh, now over one million Uyghurs are uh, uh, being uh, detained in these, you know, detention centers, over one million. And uh, according to a report of a uh, human rights organization, uh, more than two uh, million people are forced to attend political, you know, uh, indoctrination, cultural and politi uh, political indoctrination uh, centers. These are, these are also part of the so-called re-education camp. This, uh, you know, uh, the detention centers or uh, internment camps uh, uh, fit all the definition of a, uh, you know, concentration camps. Yes. The uh, intention of the Chinese government is to, you know, culturally uh, eliminate a, uh, ethnically and culturally eliminate the Uyghur people right. uh, in these camps. Let me, let me ask this, because it's been, it was mentioned that um, the threat being uh, divergent um, ways of thinking uh, whether that regards uh, theology or, or political thinking, uh, that that's something that has been uh, that has been seen as a threat um, to China, uh, to its existing system. So, if I could ask, how does the uh, existing educational uh, system, uh, if you will, how does that education impact the perception of the Han Chinese? Um, in, in regard to the treatment of the Uyghur? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about yeah. that. Um, in general, sort of 
in public discourse in China, ethnic minorities are very much presented as the other and, and usually sort of as condescendingly as sort of little mascots, people wearing colorful costumes that love to sing and dance. Mm. And in some ways, that's at least a somewhat positive portrayal, but as I said, it's condescending. Um, and that's the positive side. There's this much darker sort of negative portrayal of ethnic minorities in China. Um, and part of that has to do with religion. So in the education system, the Marxist view of the world prevails, that religion is some sort of superstition and that it's eventually going to die out. So while the government has stopped trying to eradicate religions fully, it, it learned during the Cultural Revolution that wasn't possible. Um, it still has this mindset that, you know, religion is superstition and people that adhere to that are sort of backward superstitious people. And outside of the formal education system, there's lots of media portrayals that sort of toggle between the sort of ethnic minority as mascot portrayal and one that emphasizes Uyghurs' implicit or explicit connection to terrorism. And so this gets repeated in media a lot and influences how people, particularly those who haven't met any Uyghurs or traveled to Xinjiang before, think about Xinjiang. Um, the domestic media in China is censored, right. so it has to be careful. They won't say anything that's too inflammatory. They, they don't also get to decide what they write all the time, but domestic media does repeat a lot of government assertions that are unfounded, um, and that re- increases the amount of Islamophobia maybe that's in um, regular, larger society. Uh, there's a lot of discussion on social media that is very Islamophobic, anti-halal, uh, very strangely. And and importantly, minorities are a pretty small, I think minorities are a pretty small part of the population. Um, and so if you don't live in certain areas, if you're an ethnic Han Chinese, you may never really meet um, a Uyghur person. And that makes it harder to combat the sorts of stereotypes and myths that you might have grown up with. Mm. Sounds very similar to uh, conditions here in the United States. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you no, mentioned... You can, <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, for many years, Chinese government has uh, uh, she, uh, for, uh, said that many, uh, for many years, Chinese government, you know, uh, portrayed Uyghurs as a uh, security threat, as, as terrorists, as extremists, and... Uh, through this, you know, negative propaganda, Chinese uh, Communist Party and the government managed to uh, succeed in uh, brainwashing a large part of the Han Chinese people. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, uh, even uh, when they come to, uh, you know, and also this uh, repression has been going on for many decades, and uh, millions of Han Chinese already brought in from mainland China into East Turkestan and uh, already changed the demography of the East Turkestan. And when the Ch- Han Chinese uh, come to this area, they already have a prejudice against the Uyghur people. Mm-hmm. And many Han Chinese think that the Uyghurs deserve this, you know, this uh, uh, repression yeah. and uh, deserve all these, you know, uh, 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 suppression by the Chinese. Uh, Let me ask government. this. Let me ask this. When we when we bring terrorism up into the into the conversation, what examples, right? What incidents uh, is China pointing to to try to bolster its claims that the Uyghur uh, Uyghur are a violent or a dangerous uh, people? 
or is this or is this just mere fabrication? Um, I, I would say that there are definitely incidents of violence um, and some which might be called terror. But I think the problem is that the vast majority of people don't engage in this sort of behavior. And because information is so hard to get, it's really hard to know what happens in a lot of cases, right? The only reports we have in many cases are the Chinese government reports. People cannot go in and independently verify what happened. So while you know, um, it's hard to say that there have been no, you, you can't say there have been no incidents of violence, right? Sure. Sure. But um, it's it's just really not fair to paint an entire people as violent and as terrorists or proto-terrorists simply because of you know who they are and what they believe religiously. Right. Right. But uh, but uh, what's happening in the region now uh, doesn't have I think uh, to, anything to do with the terrorism. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, war, uh, war uh, against a religion against a people, against a, 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 an ethnic identity. So uh, expression of, you know, ethnic identity also being considered as a, as a crime. And as uh, she pointed out, you know, there have been some incidents of violence, very uh, isolated incidents, and uh, we don't know whether it is uh, real uh, terrorism. But the, so one thing is very clear, there is no organized terror groups or terrorist you know, activities uh, in the region. But mm. the Chinese government, of course, portrays everything, portrays Uyghurs, and uh, claim there have been uh, there uh, have been terrorist activities there. But uh, this uh, this is not independently you know uh, 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 proved. But uh, they uh, also uh, Chinese government. Uh, the, uh, they portrayed some incidents as terrorist incidents, but nobody knows, uh, you know, whether it was a ter terrorist incident. And they, uh, for example, in some incidents, they uh, claim that they uh, arrested, detained the terror terrorists, and they uh, secretly, uh, you know, tried that people uh, uh, and then executed. But nobody knows what happened, whether they really committed that act or not. Nobody knows because of this, you know, the restrictions uh, and the uh, foreign journalists are not able to, you know, to talk with them or the Chinese government uh, the, don't uh, disclose any, you know, all these uh, the, the trials being conducted secretly. So mm -hmm. therefore, there is no information. So I just I also want to pick up on something or sure. just said that's really important, which is. The people that are being held in these camps right now mm -hmm. are not, as far as we know, you know, being accused of committing terrorist acts, right? I mean, everything that we know, and again, it's very hard to know because independent verification is not allowed, but these people are being picked up because there's quotas, right? Um, some county, some district, some neighborhood have a quota of how many people yeah, they need yeah. to send for re-education. Mm. So if this person, you know... D didn't want to have a drink with someone, right? They didn't want to drink alcohol. That's seen as extreme, and they can be sent to re-education camps for that. So, so there isn't even really in these cases a connection with mm -hmm. this sort of terrorist threat that the Chinese government has been playing up for years. They've kind of moved beyond that with these camps and are just, as Homer said, 
criminalizing ethnic and religious identity. Yeah, so in, uh, as it relates uh, to... You know, this uh, year, uh, hmm? it, it, it was, uh, sorry, pardon, uh, last year in a April, the Chinese uh, government uh, adopted a new uh, regulation, this, uh, you know, a de-extremification uh, campaign. They started the de-extremification campaign, and according to the new this regulations of de-extremification, there are 75 signs of, you know, uh, extremism. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, the rejecting, uh, as she said, drinking alcohol uh, or being considered as a sign of uh, extremism. Even now, uh, you cannot name, uh, give a Muslim name to your children. If you name your child as Muhammad, Mm -hmm. That is being considered as sign of uh, an extremism. They already banned certain names like Muhammad, Islam, Imam, for example, mm -hmm. Hadija, Fatima. All these names are banned now in 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 in, in the region. And if you have uh, you, uh, you your name is Muhammad, then you have to change your name. Yeah. Well, let me ask this: Is else. there is there any uh, Uyghur representation within the uh, Chinese Communist Party? <laughs> that's, that's a really good question. So the way that the Chinese state works is kind of an inverse of the old Soviet system, right? In the Soviet system, in a region or a province, they would have the party secretary be um, the local ethnicity that was predominant in that area. And then, like, the person running the government would be a Soviet representative. In China, it's flipped. So the party secretary in Xinjiang is, is ethnically Han, which is the majority. And then the chairman of the Uyghur Autonomous Region is, um, is Uyghur. And so that's generally how it works throughout the system. Throughout Xinjiang, they have a part of the party secretary will be Han, and then the second in command, the head of the government, will be uh, Uyghur. And that is very intentional. Yes. Mm. Um, in, in terms yeah. of... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. no you. I was just going to say, in terms of actual representation in the Chinese Communist Party, it's hard to know. I don't have, like, the full role of the Chinese Communist Party, but it's minimal. It's, right. it's not a lot of people. Okay. So I, want, I just wanted to say that not only, you know, in autonomous region, but in all, uh, you know, uh, level, the party secretaries are a Han Chinese. Even in a village, the party secretary, most of the villages, our party secretary is a Han Chinese. If, uh, you know... The village chief is a Uyghur, so he doesn't have any power. So power is in the hands of the Han Chinese, who is the secretary of the party. So therefore, that doesn't have any meaning. If you are in a party, you are a member of the party, when you are Uyghur, that you, know, you cannot you know, do anything. So you have to listen to your party secretary, who is a uh, Han Chinese. Mm. And certainly I can't think of anybody in the central government that is, is high up in the central government that is ethnically Uyghur. Right. <laughs> so no, no representation, uh, basically. No, no. Yeah. And then also being subject to, uh, you mentioned quotas, right? So they have quotas for these camps. Um, in addition to those quotas, is it also a, a matter of, uh, of, of process that you can be you can have someone turn you in 
or identify you personally as a as an extremist or someone who is deserving of of going to one of these camps? No, no. It, it, it uh, you, uh, there, the people, you know, there uh, there are all you know ordinary people, right. and uh, they are uh, business businessmen, intellectual uh, scientists, even uh, soccer player. Uh, all of them are uh, targeted here. No, no, no. So they I... give, uh, for example, mm-hmm. in uh, in some places. Local officials have to meet, as she said, a quota for detention. Right. So they have uh, to detain a certain number of people, or they will uh, lose their jobs. In some cases, it is, uh, according to the information we received, 10%. In some areas, as conservative areas like Khotan, for mm-hmm. example, in the south of the East Turkestan, it says it is uh, 40%. Some officials even complain that... Uh, that uh, uh, they are having trouble in meeting these quotas. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll add a little bit. I think it also gets at your question. Okay. Um, and that is, yes, I think people can turn each other in. I don't know a lot about Uyghurs turning in other Uyghurs, but I do know that, and we're going to have a um, an article up on, on Chinafile.com soon about this. I'm sorry, I have to promote no, our site. Please, but, please do. <laughs> um, it, it's about a... Um, a government program that's been in effect for a while now where they send in uh, Chinese cadres into Uyghur homes. Yeah. So they'll mm-hmm. stay with the Uyghurs mm-hmm. so that they can observe behavior, uh, take notes, and make recommendations if certain people in the household um, are showing signs of what they consider extremism and should be educated. And again, this is the same sort of thing we're talking about. This is not wanting to drink alcohol. This is not wanting to eat pork. Um, you know, talking about religion at home. I mean, just very invasive sort of going into someone's home and observing their behavior and deciding whether or not they should be, quote-unquote, re-educated because of that. Yeah, even uh, they wow. have to, uh, they are, uh, in some places, they are, you know, uh, staying overnight at Uyghur houses. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, is, it is a humiliation. It's an insult. It's a humiliation to, the, uh, to Uyghur people. You know, uh, the, how you can, uh, can you imagine, you know, uh, the, uh, your, uh, all, most of the Uyghur males are detained, they are in detention center, and the Communist Party Chinese authorities put party officials, male party officials in the homes, uh, household, uh, in the homes of the Uyghurs, uh, uh, Uyghurs, and also even they, uh, they uh, spend uh, the night with the Uyghur families and stay overnight. Even uh, there were some uh, in social media, some pictures showing that the Chinese party officials uh, uh, stay overnight in a bed with the Uyghur, you know, elderly people. You know, this is this is uh, disgusting and this is uh, you know so humiliating uh, actions. Yes, yes. And I'll also point out that is you know these are people that still have homes that can be visited. In some cases, if a mother and a father have both been taken away, then children are forced into orphanages. And there's been multiple media reports about overflowing orphanages and the government not quite knowing what to do with a large number of Uyghur children who no longer have a mother and father to care for them because they've both been sent away to camps. Mm. Um, So I was 
you you answered the question. I was looking at uh, specifically Han and Uyghur, uh, Uyghur relationships and if they were devolving because of these camps uh, and basically if their removal is incentivized because there's, I imagine, you know, in any society that there's an economic component to someone leaving, right? This is a person who had a job. Uh, uh, Omar, as you mentioned, you know, you have scientists and, and, and athletes and teachers and so on. And when that person is gone, when they come back, or if they come back, I assume that life has gone on without them. Yes. Right? So, yes. yeah, so uh, so those who do come back, they don't have, they don't have any recourse, do they? Uh, uh, as uh like uh, I said, you know, uh, the uh, people are, who are in uh, real detention centers, yeah. you know, when they uh, came up, but we haven't, this is the one of the side of the frightening side of this uh, thing, yeah, because we haven't heard anybody until now, uh, you know, uh, uh, came out from these uh, detention centers. There were some people who uh, spent some uh, time in this uh, detention center and later released. Uh, they, uh, they were uh, 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 foreign country citizens, like Kazakh, some uh, Kazakhstan citizens who have been detained and they later released. And they were the one who exposed actually what's happening in these re-education camps. But uh, until now, I haven't heard any Uyghur who came out of these uh, detention centers and oh, wow. uh, managed to get out of the country. Maybe there I... are some, but it is very, very few. So it is, therefore, the Uyghurs are very concerned what is happening in uh, to those people who are in detention centers. Because once you are taken away and put in these detention centers, nobody is uh, able, uh, nobody is able to uh, communicate with you or uh, to uh, find out what's happening to you and about uh, have any in, any information whatsoever about your whereabouts about your well-being mm. Jessica I, I would yeah I would just say I would underscore the lack of transparency here so I think there was one case that I've heard of um, it was written up in foreign policy online I think the title was something about how I spent my summer in a Chinese gulag um, where it was a Uyghur who is living in the U.S., had gone back home, um, was was picked up for a little while, and then was released and is now back in the U.S. and was brave enough uh, yes, to write yes, about it. Yes. Mm. Um, so I think there are a couple of cases where people have gotten out, but, but the real problem is we don't know. We just don't have a way of finding out. And there's a huge range of, I think Omar mentioned this before, of, sort of camps and detention centers that people can be sent to. I won't bore everybody with this, but there's, uh, you know, there's prisons, there's detention centers, those are part of the legal system, and then there's these, you know, quote-unquote re-education camps that are completely outside the legal system, and even within that, there's a huge range of things. Sometimes they're morning classes or evening classes. Sometimes they're, you're just being held in communicado for months. So, again, I just can't stress enough um, we just don't know what's going on because independent international observers are not really allowed in to understand what's happening. Right, and then and then there's a dependence upon um, state-run media uh, to cover it. So right. yeah, um, right. so what's the estimate right now of the number of, of Uyghur that are 
uh, that are detained or in these camps right now. Is there is there a rough estimate? I think Omar said this before. Um, the UN recently had an estimate of one million, but again, it's really hard to know. And then, you know, it, does that include everybody that was held, or have some people been released? We don't know. And I think the number—you can correct me if I'm wrong, Omar—it was around yeah. two million that have been held at some point, or that are going yeah. through these morning or evening training yeah. classes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, these are all extra legal. This does not include people that are being held. Um, in detention centers or prisons for other crimes, quote-unquote crimes, these are just people in the extra-legal re-education camp system. So for those that are listening right now, this may be their first... I mean, we've had one other conversation um, with regard... uh, We've had one other conversation regarding the Uyghur uh, on this program, uh, well, about maybe three months ago. Um, but I'm sure that there's still quite a few folks that this may be their first time hearing about them. Um, in a country like China, where there is such there are such impediments to access uh, and transparency, what is it that listeners um, can do or feel empowered uh, to do to try to help that transparency come about? Yeah, one uh, thing I uh, just want to mention, uh, that because Chinese government claims that, the, you know, uh, this is part of the uh, anti-extremism or anti-terrorism campaign, but uh, it is what's going on in the region is also against the anti-terrorism law that the Chinese government, you know, uh, adopted uh, 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 in East Turkestan or in uh, generally in China, yeah, mm-hmm. this law, anti-terrorism law. Because in anti-terrorism law, also there are some procedures, there are some rules, but there is no rule in East Turkestan now. The, uh, the people uh, randomly, you know, uh, of the uh, uh, Uyghurs are being uh, dragged from houses or uh, arrested uh, right on the street and taken to, you know, to this uh, uh, detention centers. There is no rule. There is no law. There is uh, nothing to uh, to. Uh, so uh, the government, the officials, feel free to do whatever they want with the uh, Uyghur uh, people in the region. And uh, uh, there should be also, uh, of course, a, a pressure on Chinese government. Uh, and uh, what we uh, want uh, to the listener uh, to do is to you know to. Uh, uh, to ask their, uh, you know, uh, representatives in the U.S. Congress to, you know, to uh, take this issue seriously and to take uh, and to uh, issue statements on, and uh, uh, ask uh, the U.S. administration uh, to uh, to interfere and uh, uh, put pressure on Chinese authorities at least uh, to. Uh, to uh, release, uh, you know, the uh, innocent people who are being detained mm-hmm. without uh, without any charge, they are uh, detained without any charge. So they uh, so and at least gave information about the people in the detention centers. There are t- thousands, of millions of Uyghurs who are relatives or uh, in these detention centers and have not been able to get any kind of information about their whereabouts and about their well-being. Mm. Yeah, I would just want to second what Omar just said. And 
I'll, I'll say this is a blanket statement for everything I said today, which is I'm just here speaking in my personal capacity. I'm not speaking on behalf of any um, entity other than myself. Sure. But um, he's right. The best thing you can do if you're a listener is call your local representative. And I know um, that people think, oh, that doesn't matter. You know, why would they care what I say? They do very much care what you say. And I can tell you that what needs to happen in order to get some sort of um, change moving in our foreign policy is there needs to be political pressure on the administration to do something about this. Um, and, of course, we can't, like, march into China and change anything, and nor we want to China as a, foreign country, a sovereign country, but we can, there's lots of things we can do. And certainly yeah. the U.S. government could be making a lot more public statements about this. Right. Um, they could be bringing it up in all of their meetings with Chinese officials. Um, there are there are many of options that um, include sanctions that include yeah. looking at import export controls. I won't go into all of those, but suffice it to say that in order for Congress or the administration to feel that they should act, they need to hear from their own citizens that this is a really big concern for them. So I would just ask that anybody who's listening and, and cares really do call your local congressman and let them know that this is an issue we really care about. Okay. Well, um, we sincerely appreciate both of you, Omar and uh, Jessica, both of you for coming on uh, Radio Slime to talk about this very important uh, issue. And we um, hopefully we can get an update again uh, soon. But I think the more people know, the more people know, the more people are able to do that very simple thing, uh, which both of you, both of you mentioned, which is to contact our representatives, contact yeah. our local uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, our, our state and our federal uh, officials uh, and and put the pressure that's going to be necessary uh, to bring about uh, some uh, positive change. So thank you once again, Omar Kanat. He is the director of the Human Right, uh, Uyghur Human Rights Project. Uh, Jessica Batke is the uh, China File Senior Editor. And we thank them both for being with us. And our Red Raider Islam family, I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation. We want to go ahead and thank our engineers over at WCEB. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, assistant producer Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host and producer Tariq Alamine. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. All right, we're going to leave you now as we greeted as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.